Be Christ's Church. Impact the valley. Reach the world. All for the glory of King Jesus. Welcome to the North Roanoke Podcast. Today, our lead pastor, Daniel Palmer, will be opening God's word for us. Our prayer is that you will encounter the living Lord as you hear his word proclaimed. Amen, church, you sound great this morning. You believe what we just sang? We're going to praise him forevermore. So we may as well get started now, amen? If you've got your copy of God's Word, and I hope you do, go ahead and make your way to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, we're going to try to make it uh, from verse 1 down to verse 13 today. So Acts chapter 2, we're turning the page to Acts 2, and so far we've considered in chapter 1 Jesus being with his disciples, his apostles, for 40 days between his resurrection and ascension, and he's teaching them about the kingdom of God. And then he commands them to wait in Jerusalem for the coming of the Holy Spirit, which is something we're going to consider today. And then we see the the selection or the identification of Matthias as God's chosen apostle to replace Judas. And so he's in place. And so now the, the Spirit can come upon this new team of 12 apostles. <clears throat> it, it is the Spirit who's going to apply the work of Christ, the ascended King's rule and reign to the hearts of those who are going to hear the gospel, repent, and believe. Jesus promises in John 16 that the Spirit's going to come and convict of sin and righteousness and judgment. And today we're going to see that God keeps His promise to pour out His Spirit, to baptize in the Spirit, to fill His church with the Spirit. God has not brought His disciples to this point to disappoint, but instead to bless and empower them to live holy lives, to use supernatural gifting that He's going to build into their hearts by way of the Spirit, and and to then get the gospel to the end of the earth. God has kept His promise. He's poured out His Spirit. And the Spirit is not poured out to be taken away. Uh, In some Christian traditions, there's a bit of a misunderstanding of this. Like, you get the Spirit, and then the Spirit leaves, and then you got to do something to get the Spirit again. But, But the Spirit has come, once and for all, come. Merida puts it this way, The day of Pentecost was like a mayor installing a great water system in a city. From that point forward, every time a new home is built or added to the community, households can connect to the water system. The day of Pentecost was the installation of God's source of blessing and power for the benefit of His people. The installation happens one time at the point of salvation, and yet the significance of that is ongoing for the people of God. We'll learn more about that this morning. Would you hear with me? Uh, We'll consider first verses 1 through 4. Would you hear with me the Word of God? When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other 
tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Here's what I want you to understand about verses 1 through 4. The promised Holy Spirit. Promised of the Father. Promised by Jesus. Predicted by John the Baptist. He came. Not it came, but He came. The, the pronoun that is used in the Scriptures to describe the Holy Spirit is always a He, never an It. The Holy Spirit is a person. He can be grieved. He can fill you. You have a relationship with God through the Holy Spirit. The person of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is not an It. He's a He. Does that make sense? This is important. This is not, he's, this is not Star Wars. He's not the Force. He is God, the third person of the Trinity. So the promised Holy Spirit came from heaven at Pentecost to fill those who follow King Jesus. How is it that we're going to follow a king who's in heaven that we can't see? The Spirit is going to be poured out to apply the life of the king on the inside of our hearts that we might follow him by way of his word. In verse 1, the, the text begins literally, and in the day of Pentecost being fulfilled. Now, our translation said that it arrived or that it came, but the word that Luke uses, a, a particular word that means fulfillment, suggesting that Luke has in mind something more than just another day on the calendar showed up. This is more than Christmas arrived. Yay. Right? It's, it's that the day was fulfilled. In other words, this coming of the Spirit accomplishes something that is prophesied in the promise of Pentecost. You say, well, what do you mean by that? Well, Pentecost is the Greek word for the Old Testament festival, the Feast of Weeks. The Feast of Weeks happened seven, day, seven weeks and one day, that's 50 days after the wave offering of Passover, and the word Pentecost means 50th or 50th day. You say, well, what's the, I don't get it. Well, 50 days after Passover is the end of the harvest. It's the thanksgiving and the celebration for all the fullness of God's provision. You see what's happening here in the giving of the Spirit? Christ has been crucified, He's been raised, He's been glorified, He's been exalted. He is, He calls Himself the bread of life. But how do I feast spiritually on the bread of life? You've got to have the Holy Spirit living on the inside, applying the life of Christ to your life. So Pentecost represents the promise that Christ can be the bread of life to you. That all the fullness that God has for you, all the peace, all the joy, all the power, all the purpose that God intends for His people comes by way of the coming of the Holy Spirit upon his church. Pentecost is fulfilled when the Spirit comes. Brother Paul likes to say we're an Easter people. And he's right, we're an Easter people. If Christ is not raised, we have no hope. But I submit to you, we're not just an Easter people, we're a Pentecost people. Because if Pentecost didn't come, then the resurrection of Christ has no application to your life. It's not, we're not just a cerebral people. We don't just say, Christ is raised from the dead, hallelujah. Why is it hallelujah? Because the risen Christ has, by way of His Spirit, convicted me of my sin, of the judgment that I deserve, and He has, through confession and repentance and belief in Christ, changed me on the inside. If Pentecost isn't true for you, church, or person, brother, sister, friend... 
May today be the day that Easter is applied to your life because you are changed by the Spirit. In the second half of verse 1, Luke again, as he will do throughout the book of Acts, he stresses the togetherness of these early believers. We've already seen it in chapter 1 verse 14. And here again, he says they were all together in one place. Literally, they were together together. In other words, they were together spiritually and physically. What brings them together is Jesus. And Jesus now sends the Spirit upon them when they are together. Togetherness is a theme throughout Acts and really throughout the remainder of the New Testament. We are saved and empowered individually by Jesus, but God often works in a special way when we are together. It's one of the reasons I'm so excited that we're worshiping together. You don't find any local church in the New Testament worshiping separately. They come together to worship God. The Spirit is given in power at Pentecost, and that Spirit is the same Spirit who moves among God's people today in power. When the Spirit comes upon this initial group of believers, the the twelve apostles as well as the hundred and twenty mentioned at the end of of chapter 1, His coming is a sudden and unique and supernatural event, so says Peterson. These signs of the Spirit's coming that we've just read about are are not going to be repeated in the rest of Acts. But the power source has not changed, nor has the Spirit's power been limited. The Spirit of God is power. He has been given. He is God, and His presence is. His presence with His people is power. It's power to change us on the inside and make us more and more like Christ. It's power to unite people who would otherwise not get along or have anything to do with one another. It's power to loosen our lips, to speak the mighty works of God, and to soften hardened hearts that they might hear the gospel and repent of their sin and believe in Christ. The the sort of power that's on display in verses 2 through 4 outwardly is the same power that is working inwardly in the life of every child of God. When the Spirit arrives, there's no warning. Do you see that in verse 2? It was sudden. And the sound came from heaven. Now, do you remember where Jesus went just a few days earlier? Where did he go? To heaven. This is the participation portion of the sermon. You can, you can speak, it's alright. So Jesus went to heaven, and, and the sound of the Spirit's coming comes out of heaven. Now what is Luke trying to do? He's telling us, connect the dots. Jesus went to heaven, and He sent the Spirit from heaven, just like He promised He would do. Jesus has kept His word, and the promise of the Father, and the fulfill, He's kept his promise, the promise of the Father. He's fulfilled the, promise, the prophecy of John the Baptist. Acts is about Jesus' continued work in the world through his people. How? Because Jesus has poured out his Spirit so that we might be united with Christ, united with one another, to testify to the ends of the earth that we follow a risen, ascended, reigning King. We have a message the world doesn't have. We have a power to share it that the world does not have. When the Spirit came on His people, there was no wind. But the sound was like wind. It was like a mighty rushing 
violent driving wind, a sound that filled the whole house. Now let me ask you something. If you have a, a wind or the sound of wind with no wind, is that going to get your attention? That's going to get my attention. All the noise of a violent wind, ready for your house to be blown down, and yet nothing's moving. But I can hear it. What is the significance of this? All the power of a violent wind with none of the destruction or the devastation. This is a picture of the, the healing and restoring power of God. I love that the disciples are not at the temple, what people would have called the house of God, but they're at a private residence, and it's the house of God where the people of God are getting indwelled by the Spirit of God, not that temple where they're slaughtering animals that don't need to be slaughtered anymore because Christ has been slaughtered once for all to save His people. The temple has changed locations right here in Acts chapter 2. God's people become the temple. I, the only visual image that I can get, or the only audible image that I can get of what it must have sounded like is, is when the Duresho came through. Do y'all remember that? I mean, all was calm, all was clear, nothing was moving, and they kept saying, you've never seen this weather phenomenon before, but it's coming. And I'm like, okay, whatever. Nothing, nothing, nothing. And then all of a sudden, the shingles are being blown off of my roof. Boom, just like that. But in this case, there's no destruction. The wind of God or the breath of God in the Old Testament sometimes has creative or restorative power. The heavens, Psalm 33.6b says, are made by the breath of God. Ezekiel in chapter 37 promised the old dry bones of Israel would be raised up as an exceedingly great army. And how would it happen? He says, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they might live. Do you know the breath of God in your life? Has the wind of God blown through your life? Have you died to self and been raised by the mighty breath of God? This is possible because the Spirit has come. Verse 3, the disciples see divided tongues. Now this doesn't mean forked tongues like a snake. It means distributed tongues. Tongues that are distributed among all the apostles and the other disciples there, but from the same source. And the tongues had the appearance of fire. They rested on each of them. In the Old Testament, fire is a associated with the awesome, consuming presence of God. In Exodus 3, do you remember? Moses encounters the Lord in a burning bush, but it's not consumed. At, at Mount Sinai, in Exodus 19, 18, we read about the glory of God, and Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. But see, now God was descending not just on Moses, not just with a law book. He was descending on all of His people, changing them from the inside out. In Exodus 13, 21, we read the, the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light that they might travel by day and by night. How do you make your world way in the darkness of this world? You can only do it if you know the 
fire, the illuminating fire of the Holy Spirit in your life. He will order your steps. He will direct your path in accordance with His Word. When the Spirit comes, all the disciples hear and they see the evidence that He has come. Distributed tongues like like fire signify that the church is now being empowered with the presence of God to proclaim and testify with one voice to the same Lord. The temple is about now to be spread across the globe, beginning with Israelites just as God promised. The prophet Moses went up the mountain into the cloud and he brought down the law. But Jesus, the prophet promised greater than Moses, has gone up into the heavens and he has now poured out his spirit. These spirit followers will follow Jesus in power. This is the baptism of the Holy Spirit that Jesus promised in chapter 1. This is the law being written on the hearts of His church. The disciples are filled, and then, do you see it in verse 4? They are given utterance. The word utterance is associated with prophesying. And what do they prophesy? You're going to have to look down to verse 11 for a second. We'll get there momentarily. But they prophesy or proclaim the mighty works of God. Now, Sometimes when you hear about the church and the gift of the Spirit being manifest in speaking in other tongues, you'll, you'll get this idea that everybody's talking over one another. That, that's not what's going on here. They're speaking as the Spirit gave them utterance, which implies there's an order to this process. One is given the ability to speak, and then the other is given the ability to speak. So it's not this confusing chaos that's going on. They're, they're speaking in an orderly way, in other tongues, meaning known human languages, but not known to those who are speaking them. When the Spirit comes, they are filled for the purpose of speaking other languages other than their own. Later in Acts, we're going to see that the, the disciples will be filled by the Spirit again. In Acts chapter 4.31 would be an example. This is important for us to understand. When you're baptized by the Spirit, when the Spirit comes upon you the first time, the Spirit doesn't leave you. But He can fill you again and again and again according to the need that you have in that moment. Which doesn't fit well to our Western way of thinking, right? If something's full, then you can't fill it again. But biblically speaking, what we see is that someone who is already filled or full with the Spirit can get further filling or enabling for a new ministry, which means if God is moving you to serve from one area of church life to another area of church life, and you say, I'm not gifted, or I don't know, that the Spirit can meet you in your obedience and give you fresh filling and fresh anointing for a new work. Are y'all here this morning? Because I'm very excited about this topic. The Spirit of God is essential to the life of believers. And I've heard it said, you know, well, Baptists, they don't, they don't care too much about the Spirit or talk too much about the Spirit. We, we are, it's pointless to be here if we don't have the Spirit of God. Apart from the Spirit, we can do nothing. We can't understand, we can't comprehend, we can't apply. We can't launch out at a new area of ministry or service. But the Spirit of God will fill us afresh and afresh and afresh as we depend on Christ and ask Him to fill us. But right now, they are filled, they are baptized and filled 
with the Spirit for the purpose of speaking in foreign languages, why does the Spirit fill them with the purpose of speaking in foreign languages because of what we're going to read about in verse 5. Let's, let's keep reading the Word of God. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear, each of us in his own language, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own languages, own tongues, the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others, mocking, said they are filled with new wine. Second point I want you to see today, sort of big picture point is this. The Spirit miraculously enables the disciples to proclaim God's works to Jews from all nations in their native language. The Spirit miraculously enables the disciples to proclaim God's works to Jews from all nations in their native language. As we read the Old Testament... We see the Israelites, the the people through whom God would bring His Son and King to the world overtaken by foreign powers because of their rebellion and disobedience toward God. The, The northern kingdom, the ten tribes, fell first to Assyria and later, about a century later, uh, Judah and Jerusalem fell to Babylon and Jews were scattered among every nation under heaven, meaning throughout the known world of that time. Over time, these Jews ended up speaking the language that was most commonly spoke in their location. So they they lost sight of Hebrew and then Aramaic, and they they would speak other languages. So at this time, with Rome being a, a major leading power and stabilizing force in the world, it often seemed that God's promises of a king reigning over his people would never come to fruition. When is God going to have a king reigning over all the Jews to the ends of the earth? It's not going to happen. And yet, what do we find at Pentecost? Do we not have Jews from Every nation under heaven dwelling in Jerusalem brought together to the capital city and the Spirit is poured out and suddenly they are divinely enabled to hear the mighty works of God in a language that they understand. In their, not just the lingua franca of the day, the common language, but they are hearing it in their native language, their heart language. You say, well, how did they get to Jerusalem? Why are they even there? Some probably came for Passover and for the Pentecost time period. Others had moved there and were now dwelling there. They had permanently relocated to Jerusalem because of the relative peace of the time. I don't know about you, but I find this to be incredible. 
We read the Old Testament and God says, I'm going to regather my people. I'm going to regather my people. I'm going to regather my people under one king and they're going to be united together. And then right here in Jerusalem, we find Jews and even some Gentiles who were converts to Judaism in Jerusalem from every nation under heaven, hearing from God through spirit-empowered witnesses about the mighty works of God. These Jews don't know it yet, but many of them are about to be united to the king of Israel. They're about to be united to the true vine who came to finish God's work. And Israel is about to bear witness to her risen king to the ends of the earth, which is what Israel was supposed to be in the beginning, was a witness and a light to the nations. Solomon prayed over the temple, God, when the pagans come, might they see our witness to them and might they take it to the ends of the earth? And what did they do? Instead, Israel became like pagans, but now they're going to get the law on the inside. They're going to get the spirit on the inside. They're going to know the gospel in their own language. And in chapter 8, they're going to be persecuted. And where are they going to go? They're going to go to the ends of the earth with the gospel in power. What brings them together to hear of what God has done is the sound. Verse 6, do you see it? I don't know if this is the sound of the Spirit's arrival, like the mighty rushing wind, or if it is the sound of them speaking in their own language. Uh, the word used for sound there is almost always used of hu a human voice. And so what could be happening is God is divinely enabling the surrounding city. These people throughout Jerusalem, suddenly, somehow, God is giving divine enablement for that voice to travel and for them to hear in their own language, hey, they're speaking about Yahweh. They're, they're talking about the exodus. They're talking about God's plans for His people. And they're drawn together around this place. When God came upon the twelve apostles and the early believers, a multitude of Jews hears the sound. Just a brief pastoral aside, church. My prayer is that God would come upon us in such power, so palpably, so fully, that as we go and as we gather, that the sound of our lives would resonate so much who Jesus is, His mighty works, that people would be drawn like a moth to a flame to behold our beautiful Savior. But for a moment, those who have gathered from every nation under heaven are bewildered, verse 6. They're not bewildered so much by what they're hearing as how they are hearing it. They understand that they're hearing about the mighty works of God. They understand that they're hearing it in their own, own heart language, their native language, verse 8. But, but how? How is this happening? The mighty works of God in the Old Testament refers to the, the exodus from Egypt most frequently. And what's interesting is Isaiah promised a second exodus for the people of God. God frees the Israelites from Egypt. Do you remember? There are slaves there for 400 years. God brings them out. And what do they do? They put themselves right back in slavery because they don't keep the commands of God. So they're going to be enslaved again. And, and yet Isaiah says to Israel, in that day, the Lord will extend His hand yet a second time 
to recover the remnant that remains of his people from Assyria, from Egypt, from Pathros, from Cush, from Elam, from Shinar, from Hamath, and from the coastlands of the sea. In other words, basically the exact same territory that we just read about in Acts. He will raise a signal for the nations. He will assemble the banished of Israel and gather the dispersed from Judah from the four corners of the earth. And what did we just read here in Acts 2? We have Jews who've been dispersed to the four corners of the earth, who've been regathered to hear of Jesus, who has been raised as a signal, a signal of hope and forgiveness and life and blessing eternal for the nations. While they are bewildered, to hear this in their own language and confused by how this could happen, they are also amazed and astonished to be hearing it from Galileans. Verse 7, do you see that? Now, I don't know how to say this politely um, because it's 2021 and you can't offend anybody anymore. Um, Fifteen years ago, I would have used the word redneck. I mean, that's, you know, and that's nothing wrong with working hard, right? But these were hardworking people. Their their language, they were not cosmopolitan people. These were not inner city yuppie people who, ooh, I know ten languages and I went to Harvard. They were fishermen and tradesmen and carpenters. They're just people trying to eke out a living and to get by. Their language was hard work, and suddenly they're speaking fluently the mighty works of God in languages they'd never known, and people are dumbfounded. You say, well, what, is it, what does it look like to look, to look dumbfounded if you've seen Justin Fuente on the sideline the last two weeks? Yeah, I mean, flummoxed. Just, yeah. yeah, that's what it looked like. What in the world is going on? God is at work in their midst. And I'm telling you, sometimes when God works in your midst, it's dumbfounding. Man, when you, when you see an alcoholic get delivered from his alcoholism in a moment because God rested on him and convicted him of, of his sin and he was delivered in an instance, that, that's dumbfounding. How, how did I see the pattern of this person's life interrupted so gloriously in a moment? It's only the work of God. When you see a marriage healed, when you see a child's life transformed, when you see people encounter God in the hearing of the gospel in a way that resonates in their heart and it changes everything, you can't deny that. Well, you can try. But I'm telling you, it's real. I've seen it in my own life. I've seen it in the lives of people I love. I've seen it in the lives of people in this church who've had healing and deliverances. There are people sitting next to one another in this room and watching online who the world would have said five years ago, your marriage will not last. And you're here together fighting for victory because God is working in your life. I I want to pause and and note that we see a, a partial reversal of the curse that comes at the Tower of Babel. You remember the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11? All the nations come together, they're speaking the same language, and and they they build a tower to make a name for themselves. And and God came down to stop the project by confusing their language, right? They all got a bunch of different languages, and they sort of scattered out, and 
divided based on their languages, and that's how we got different languages and cultures. And, and what we see here is God doesn't give them a common language to understand the gospel, but instead He meets them where they are and He speaks the gospel in their language through, through these disciples. He wants them to know about the, not how to make a name for themselves, about, but about the one who has a name which is above every other name. Peterson says this, Pentecost stands as a mighty demonstration of God's pursuit of worshipers from every tongue. God is expressing right here in Acts 2 His ultimate intention to unite people from every tribe and language and people and nation under the rule of His Son, Ephesians 1, 9, and 10, by providing reconciliation through Him and access to the Father by one Spirit and one Spirit alone, Ephesians 2, 14 through 18. It is the Spirit who unites us. He doesn't give us one language, but He gives us one Spirit to point us to the one Savior of all nations. The diversity and the cultures in the world are not replaced here with one language, but they are nevertheless united or will be united in the praise of Christ our King. You say, what's the big deal? Here's what I want you to know, church. The church of God is an outpost of the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God will have every tribe and tongue and language and nation. We will have red and yellow, black and white. We will have female and male. We will have rich and poor and in between. And there we will all be marked by the riches of Christ. And we are supposed to reflect that as a family to the best of our ability in the here and now. We are not an embassy for the United States of America. We are not an embassy for South America or France or any other place. We are an embassy of the kingdom. We are representative of a country that is better than any country on this planet that you cannot see now, but it will be the only country that exists for all eternity, so says Hebrews chapter 12. We're looking for a better country, we're serving a better king, we have a superior citizenship, and we are left here to reflect our king and his kingdom, so the banner that we raise high is Jehovah Nisi, the Lord our banner. We lift Him up and we pray and we work to get the gospel to all kinds of people from all kinds of places and backgrounds and cultures because the kingdom of God is going to look like that. You're going to learn to dance new dances that you never imagined. You're going to learn new languages. When you get to heaven, people will say, well, what language will we speak in heaven? All of them. And you're going to have eternity to learn them. You're going to learn Swahili You're going to learn Koine Greek and Classical Greek. You're going to learn Hebrew and Aramaic. You're going to learn French and Spanish. I'll start with Spanish so I can pick on Hobe a little bit more. You have eternity to learn these diverse expressions of praise and glorifying our one amazing King. Unity in a beautiful diversity is the message that God gives us in Scripture. In verse 8, these Jews from among the nations wonder how they hear in their own native language. Something inexplicable is happening, and we see two responses to the inexplicable and miraculous work of God. I love it when God does something you can't explain. Because if you know God, you know the answer. But they don't know God yet, so what is the answer? We see two responses. Do you see them there? They either ask what it means, or they make fun of it. 
You've seen this response in your own life with, with people you've tried to share the gospel with, haven't you? They either ask, tell me more, help me to know what this means. They, the scripture says they kept on saying, what does it mean? What does it mean? What does it mean? What is, what is God doing? But in verse 12, others mockingly joke that these early believers, excuse me, verse 13, mockingly joke that these believers are filled, that they're drunk with cheap wine. Church, this proves that miracles aren't enough. We got a lot of people out there, just show me a miracle, just show me a sign. Jesus says, you want the signs, but you don't want the Savior. You want the miraculous, but you don't want the Messiah. You say, well, if God would just do one more thing, if He would fix one more problem, if He would just put $10,000 more in my bank account, then I'll believe. I hear it all the time. And it's as though Jesus coming from heaven to take your place and die, being raised, being witnessed by more than 500 people, ascending to the right hand of the Father, commissioning His church in power. How else can you explain a church that goes global in a generation than that Acts 2 happened? How else did the gospel get into so many languages like this? How do we have translations into Ethiopic at less than a hundred years after Jesus is raised from the dead? The way that we have it is because Acts 2 is real. God has done the miraculous. The Spirit of God is here. Christ is raised in power. And He is still moving by way of His Spirit to convict you, not because I'm a great preacher, but in the preaching of His Word, that He has done the miraculous and it's time to bow the knee of your heart and trust in a risen Savior rather than and laughing it off and mocking, or keep on saying what it means, say, I need Jesus. That's the only response that saves. So how about you, Christian? There is a God to whom we owe our lives lived on mission for the glory of the King. And some of you are, are starving for the presence of Christ in your life, not because the Spirit isn't there, but because you can't know and enjoy the presence and power of God in your life when you ignore the purpose for which the Spirit was sent. Let me say that again. You can't live in an awareness of the power and presence of the Spirit when you're ignoring the purpose for which He was sent. The Spirit was sent to put you out into hard places on mission for God. For you to translate, if you will, the gospel into your community, into your family, into your workplace. And if you're ignoring the reason that He left you here, you're not going to be enjoying the presence and the power of God in your life. And how about for you unbelievers? Those of you who've heard the, power, heard the, the gospel proclaimed as we've worked our way through Acts, as we've worked our way through Gospels, as you've listened to other pastors online, you know the truth of God. You are a sinner. And if you don't repent of your sin and trust in Christ, you have no Savior. And yet the Spirit has come, and maybe more than the words coming out of my mouth, the Spirit is speaking to your heart, saying, come home, weary sinner. The breath of God, the wind of God is blowing through the sails of your heart, saying, just trust in Jesus. Lay it all down and take Christ up and let Him save you. If that's you this morning, then I pray, I beg you, don't put off to tomorrow what the Spirit of God wants to do today in your heart. Would you bow with me as we pray? God in heaven, 
We thank you for the promise of Pentecost. That you are not far from your people. You are not distant. You are not, God, in in some brick and mortar building that we have to come to. God, you are with your people. God, you are here in this room working and moving. God, I pray that whatever you are calling your church to, that we would do it. And whatever lost man or woman or boy or girl or teen who is here hearing these words and knows, God, that if they were to die right now, they would die in their own sin, that today they would lay their sin down and take up life in Christ. God, I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the North Roanoke Podcast. You can connect with us at northroanoke.org or download our app in your device's app store. Just search for North Roanoke. We hope to meet you soon.